Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on Sunday, July 20th, 2014. Today's message is The Best Psalm Ever by Pastor Isaac Whiting based on Psalm 23. Well, let's pray together again as we turn to the Word of God. Our gracious God, please have mercy on us again today. We know that we cannot understand and especially cannot live your truth unless you send your power and your spirit to help us. God, please help us to apply ourselves and come and meet us in our effort. Come and meet us so that we can become more like you and live the right kind of life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're in a series about the Psalms. Pastor Lyle has been he's preached on uh, three different Psalms recently, and we'll be in this series until we get into the second week of September there. We'll be doing different Psalms during the rest of the summer. And Lyle has very graciously left me with the crown jewel, the best psalm ever, as I have put it this morning. You may want to argue with me later if you'd like, if you think there's a better psalm than Psalm 23. You might be right. Certainly, Psalm 23 is not the psalm that will speak to you at every moment in your life. But overall, I'm going to say this is a fabulous psalm. It is the best psalm ever. Before we get into the psalm itself, which we will be following quite closely this morning, I would like to say something about the psalms in general. Psalms are notoriously difficult to preach, and they are also quite difficult to read. They're difficult to read and read in a way that benefits the person reading. Uh, You can go to the book of Psalms, and if you just sit down, maybe some of you have had this experience, certainly I did when I was a new Christian, uh, sit down and try to read through the book of Psalms, and it's almost as if it just becomes a, a flood of hallelujah, Lord, praise kinds of words that don't, uh, don't seem to strike deep. If that has happened to you, the reason is because the Psalms are meant to be Uh, Unlike some of the stories in the Bible or other teachings in the Bible, the Psalms are meant to be something that we focus on very slowly and carefully, something that we meditate on and take into ourselves very deeply. You remember when Pastor Lyle spoke on Psalm number one, that Psalm talks about the man who meditates on the Word of God, on the law of the Lord day and night. So what I want to say at the beginning here is what you need to do with a psalm, the best thing to do with a psalm, in fact the only thing to do if you really want to uh, have it improve you and benefit you, the best thing to do is to eat it. The best thing to do is to eat it. In Ezekiel and in the vision in the Revelation that the Apostle John had, 
there is a moment in both of those visions when uh, an angel appears to uh, Ezekiel or John and hands him a scroll, the word of God, and says, put this scroll in your mouth and eat it. And this is a perfect illustration of what we need to do with a psalm. If, if you're going to eat something, you have to put it into your mouth and you have to chew on it for a while and then you have to swallow it and you have to digest it. It is a lengthy process. It is messy, but it is the only way to nourish your body. And the same is true for your soul. Uh, let's say a starving person came up to a, a wonderful dinner, uh, a dinner spread out on the table, plates, uh, a main course, a dessert, salad, drinks, all kinds of things. And this starving person was excited to see all of this wonderful food. And so they looked at it very carefully. They studied it intently. They smelled it. And then they walked away. That would not do the starving person any good, would it? The only thing to do is to eat it, to meditate on it. Even memorization is not enough, though it is essential. We must consume the psalm. So as I go into it today, I'm going to go through this psalm and I'm going to preach on it and I'm going to tell you what I think it means. But that's not going to do you very much good. Actually, it might not do you any good if all you do is take in that information and walk away. Um, whenever God leads you into this psalm, I don't know when that will be. Maybe now, maybe in the future. But I highly recommend, and I'll say more about this at the end, that you would spend a significant amount of time in your life on this very psalm. It will change who you are. So Psalm 23, let's move into it now. Uh, psalm 23 is, like I said, the best psalm ever. It is the most well-known psalm in the world, no doubt. It's kind of become the funeral psalm in the 20th century. And I don't know exactly why that is. I guess because it talks about the shadow of death. And it also talks about living in the kingdom or the, the, the house of the Lord forever. But the psalm is not actually about death, whereas a number of other psalms are. This psalm is about life. It is about life now and life forever with God and what that life is like. It is actually, in many ways, a summary of what it is like to live in the kingdom of God, what it is like to live the life that Jesus embodied and that he teaches us how to live. In addition, I'm going to say that Psalm 23 is a record of training. As we go through, you'll see that it is a progression in a number of ways, and it is a record of how God takes a human being and trains that human being to become a person of faith, a person who can live in the kingdom of God. I think in some ways it's a record specifically of how God dealt with David, who wrote the psalm. But it's also a record of how he deals with people generally. And I think that this will shed a lot of light on your life and maybe what God has done with you so far in your life. Uh, Psalm 23, it begins like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. 
Now, just that statement, which is a kind of summary of the whole psalm just in itself in that verse, if you could take just that statement and make it your life, what a life you would have. Think about it again, and I want you to ask yourself the question, do you really believe that this is true? This is saying the same thing as other Bible verses, the same thing that Jesus himself said, that you are completely safe. For those who love God and who are called by him, there is nothing ultimately bad that can ever happen to you. Everything that ever happens to you will turn out for your good in the end. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is constantly with me. The God who created the entire universe is constantly living with me very close and keeping track of everything I do in order to help me. And so, therefore, I will never be in want. I will never not have what I need, no matter what happens. Can that really be true? Can that really be the world that we live in? David, the man who wrote this psalm, has an amazing moment in his life. One of the most stunning moments in the whole Bible. What's the most popular story about David? You could just say it. Goliath, yeah, David and Goliath, yeah. And in that story, there is this moment where, if we pay attention to the story, we are stunned by David's faith. David has been the one who's left out, the one who's off, while his brothers are doing lots of things um, in the house, uh, in public, and then going off to war. David is the youngest, the one who his father doesn't think much of. He's left out in the field with the sheep. And in the field with the sheep, he learns to trust God. And when he goes on that day to visit his brothers who are in the army fighting against the Philistines and Goliath is there, and the entire army, the entire army is scared to death of Goliath, no one will face him. David doesn't hesitate for a moment. When he hears that there is a single individual who is defying the armies of God, he simply says, are you people out of your minds? Why doesn't everyone want to go out and fight him? Don't you know that God will immediately defeat him by anyone who trusts in him? And they say, oh, you're out of your mind. You're crazy, David. <laughs> you're crazy to think like that. David says, fine, then I'll fight him. Send me out. He's eager to do it. He trusts in God that much, that implicitly, that deep down into his soul. What would your life be like if you were like that? You would be untouchable. You would be unstoppable. You would have an infinite, eternal kind of life. This is where God is leading all of us, what he is leading all of us to become. But how in the world did David get there? That's always my question when I read the story. That's wonderful. I want to be there too. But how did he get there? And so... God, through David, has left us this psalm. Psalm 23 is a record of how he brings a person to that place of faith. The psalm continues in verse 2. He, God, the Lord, makes me 
lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. Got a picture up here for you of green pastures. Isn't that nice? Some cows in a field. Now, I'm going to let you in on a little secret about me, uh, a little bit more knowledge of my growing up. I have a little bit, just a little bit, of experience as a modern-day shepherd. Can you believe that? Until I was five years old, I lived on a sheep ranch. We had about 500 sheep. And so, you know, I went out there with my dad, and I was, we were running around with the sheepdog, and so I actually have some experience as a shepherd. I don't know how much good it's done me, but maybe it will now that I read this psalm and meditate on it. So these green pastures here, uh, how many of you have been in a pasture with a bunch of farm animals before? Come on, raise your hand there. All right. So... I want you to think about that feeling of being in that pasture with a bunch of farm animals. And for those of you who haven't had that experience, you will have had a similar experience at some point as I describe the feeling. So think about that time for you. You go out into the field, and it's like you've left the regular world, especially if you're coming from the city into a farmer's field. Things are going on, you have your life, you have your schedule, everything's busy. Then you get out into the field, and there's just some cows and some grass. And the cows just kind of walk around all day, right? That's their whole life. They just walk around, and they chew some grass, and they swallow it, and then they chew on it again, and they lie down in the shade when it's hot. There's not much to it. It's like this different space where all of those busy things all of a sudden aren't there. It's this different world that you enter into when you go into the field. Or next, I've got a picture up here for you of some quiet waters. And just look at that picture. A drop of water in a perfectly clear pool, still Think about the last time you had an experience that felt like that picture. Now, I used to think that all of this was very metaphorical in the psalm. But I've come to see, the last year or two, that David is being quite literal in this part of the psalm. He says that God led him into green pastures and made him lie down. God gave him a job as a shepherd and literally made him sleep with the sheep. He made him just sit there in the field, probably for years of his life. He led him beside quiet waters to have that experience of being alone, just himself, the world, and God. And as he did that, as God led him into that, it began to restore his soul. It began to change him. 
he began to find in the place of quietness, stillness, that God is real, that he's there. Whereas everyone else was busy and distracted by the life of the house and the village and the city, just like most of the world today is distracted by everything that we've got going on, this is a primary strategy of our enemy, is to simply distract us as often as possible, fill up our lives with stuff so that we can't see God. As David did this, his soul began to be restored. I wonder how long it's even been since you thought about the fact that you have a soul. You have a soul. The Bible is very clear about this. We don't talk about it too much, although, interestingly, we sing about it a lot. I think that's because, I think that's because uh, in the past, especially, this was a primary area of Christian teaching was on the fact that we have a soul. The Bible is clear that we are whole persons, but you can distinguish various parts of the human being. We have a body, we have a mind, we have a spirit, and we have a soul. And our soul is sort of the deepest part of who we are. It's a part of who we are that we're not even aware of most of the time, but it is the part that is influencing us constantly whether our soul is twisted, bent, broken, or straight, whole, and pure is extremely important and influential on what we do and how we are in the world. The Bible is also clear that our souls need to be saved. Our souls are broken. They are twisted. In fact, most of the time, I think God hides from us just how messed up our souls really are. As we progress in the Christian life, I think he shows us a little bit more at a time, a little bit at a time of really how twisted, deep down inside, where we're not even conscious how twisted we really have become. Older Christian writers used to say that God hides the true depravity of the human being from human beings so that we're not overwhelmed by it. So as David is in this place of calmness and stillness and quiet, God begins to restore his soul. The progression continues then. As his soul is restored, God then guides him in paths of righteousness. It's only once his soul is restored to some significant degree that he is able to do the right thing, to live in a right way. This is the next step. After his soul has been restored, he is connected with God, he is then able to start doing right things, doing the things that God leads him to do. And this God does for his namesake. That is not just for David alone, but so that the real truth about life in the world can be spread out into the world. So that other people will see through David who God really is and they'll be drawn to him too. And all of this garbage in their souls begin to get straightened out and restored. This is the first, this is the first lesson and course of training that God put David through. Leading him into the quiet place. The green pasture that his soul would be restored. Now, now comes the teeth of the psalm. 
I think the real reason that this psalm has become so influential and powerful in the history of the church and the world. And this part of the psalm, the second course of training, comes because faith must be tested in order to grow. Faith must be pushed in order for it to become stronger and deeper. In order for trust in God to sink down into our souls, we must experience disruptive things and have God save us from them. When I was a kid on the farm, on the ranch, I'll tell you one story. My dad uh, had these 500 sheep, and around our ranch were lots of coyotes. And they would come to kill the sheep and eat them. And my dad was not a Middle Eastern shepherd. He didn't have a rod and a staff like we'll talk about a little bit later. He was an American shepherd, so he had a big gun. (laughs) And so he would lay down on this low rise where he could see the sheep and he could see far out into the field. But the sheep couldn't see him. And he would lay there for long periods of time, hours in the evening especially, with his gun, with his rifle. And you would hear the coyotes howl, and I would be worried inside our house. And the coyotes would come closer and closer to the sheep. The sheep could do nothing to save themselves. They huddle together, but somebody's going to get eaten is what they see. And closer and closer and closer they would come. And then finally when they got close enough that my dad knew he could not miss, there would come a loud bang. And one of those coyotes would drop dead. And the rest of them would run. This is a metaphor for how our faith is meant to be increased. This is how we are supposed to grow and deepen our faith. God allows things to come into our lives so that we can turn to him, be delivered, be seen through these things, and then our trust in him will grow deeper. Listen to what David says as this psalm continues in verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear evil because you are with me. Now notice what I said before, that this psalm is a progression God gives us times in our life or expects us to make time in our life to be alone with him, to be in the quiet, so he can begin to restore our souls and let us know that he is really there. And then, once that happens, you can expect him to allow the valley of the shadow of death to come into your life. Why? Why would he do that if he loves us? Because we need it in order to become the people that he knows will be so infinitely better than what we are now, in order to restore our souls, we need these things. 
We need the valley of the shadow of death. Do not run from it. Do not try to avoid it at all costs. It is necessary for your growth. It is necessary for what you will become in the next life. Um, can I go back just to the picture of restoration? Here's a picture that I've entitled Restoration. And it's a picture of a house being restored. And I want you to think about what it would be like if you were this house. Maybe before the restoration begins, you're in a terrible condition, and hopefully you know it. On the inside, you're full of mold and broken things and garbage and old things that need to be cleared out. But in order to be restored, this is going to be a difficult process for you as a house. Remember, you're a house right now. It's going to require jackhammers and nail guns and sanders and scrapers and all kinds of things that will be painful and difficult. It will be a big mess. But in the end, it will be worth it because you will be restored on the inside. At the end of that verse, in verse 4, it says, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David reaches the point through his training by God where he is comforted not only by the rod, but by the staff of his shepherd. The rod is the rod of protection, kind of like my dad's gun. The staff is that crooked kind of thing that the shepherd uses to yank the sheep back in line. It is not pleasant. But for David, it has become a source of comfort and joy. That is trials, difficult things in his life. The valley of the shadow of death have become a source of joy for him. A source of joy for him, just like when he walks out to face Goliath. He is excited because he knows that God will deliver him and he will grow closer to what he was made to be. Finally, the psalm continues in verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I want to give you one more image from this psalm. This is the real power of the psalms, is the images that they give us. Again, those images have to be taken in deeply and, and kept in our minds and our hearts in order for them to do their work. But the images are where the power is. So the image of the table. I thought maybe this would be the best one for our congregation. How many of you drink coffee in the morning? couple of you like coffee. Yeah. So you wake up in the morning and, you know, not everyone loves to get up in the morning. It's a little bit of a difficult experience sometimes. You're comfortable in your bed. You have to get up into the cold. Ugh. You don't want to get up. You don't want to face the day. Maybe all the things you have to do. Maybe you have some worry in your mind. But hopefully you have this experience also that there's this little space in your morning or you have that cup of coffee, and you have whatever you have for breakfast, maybe a croissant, whatever you have. 
And it's this safe place, this place of peace and joy before the chaos of the day, which is all around you. And this is the moment that David is describing in the last verses of this psalm, that God prepares a table before him in the presence of his enemies. Even when he is surrounded by people who want to kill him, he has inside this experience. He has this experience while he's surrounded by people who want to kill him and destroy him. Oh, Lord, I want to become like this. I'm not there yet. But I have reached the place after a long time of working at it and praying to God where some of the time I am excited when a difficult thing comes. Or at least I have a little bit of excitement inside me because I have seen how many times God allows something really difficult to come into our lives right before he brings the thing that we've been praying for or the thing that we really need. Right before he brings the victory, he allows something difficult to come into our lives. This is so that our faith can grow. And so Psalm 23 is a record. It is a record of what life in the kingdom of God is like. It is also a record of how a human being is trained by God to become a person of deep faith, to become a person with a whole soul, a straightened soul. And I'm going to leave you with a practical exercise or challenge. I said at the beginning that this psalm will not really do you any good if all you do is hear about it today all you do is smell the food and uh, write down the descriptions of what it looks like. You have to eat it in order for it to be of any value to you. And that will not happen primarily on Sunday morning in church. It will happen in another place. So I'd like to leave you with one way that you could do this, one way that you could take this psalm into yourself. I'm going to suggest that you take a day or half of a day and go be completely by yourself. I'm going to suggest that you enter into the progression of the psalm intentionally. Go find yourself. I mean, if it's warm and you do this soon in the summer, as long as it's not like today, you could go find yourself a field, quite literally, and wander around this field or lie down in it for the whole day or half a day or whatever seems reasonable and doable to you. I would challenge you to take this psalm with you. For sure, memorize it, but then meditate on it. Think about it in different ways. Listen to what God is saying to you. Be alone with him for a significant length of time and see if he doesn't show up and say something to you. Then, when you have done this, spent all of this time, come back to your life, and expect the valley of the shadow of death to come. He will allow something to come into your life to challenge you so that that faith, that trust that you began to build with him can be deepened and can grow. And when it comes, use this psalm again and again. Meditate on it for some significant period of time, months, maybe years, 
whatever God leads you to do. You can't do this with more than one piece of scripture at a time. So I'll leave it to you to listen to God and not to me. This is Psalm 23, the best psalm ever. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for leaving us your word, showing us what the world is really like and what you are like and what you're trying to do for us in our lives. God, please help us to enter into this kind of training that you put David through. God, help us not to resist it or become really worked up or afraid as if something strange were happening to us, but help us to recognize it for what it is and trust you in it. God, I pray that you would train us and that each one of us here today would become a person of deep faith with a straight, clean soul before you. And please come and help us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.